This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario. In my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and I am the alarmist. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today, for your Valentine's Day special, we're discussing one of the most iconic tragedies of all, Romeo and Juliet. Here's what you need to know. The iconic play by William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, is believed to have been written sometime between 1594 and 1596. Shakespeare wrote the play towards the earlier half of his career, around the same time as plays such as A Midsummer Night's Dream and Richard II. He based Romeo and Juliet's plot on the 1562 narrative poem by English poet Arthur Brooke called The Tragical History of Romeus and Juliet. Brooke had based his poem 
on a tale by the Italian short story writer Matteo Bandello. Bandello would prove to be a good source for Shakespeare, as other plays such as Twelfth Night and Much Ado About Nothing are also based on his stories. But we digress. On to the tragic tale of Romeo and Juliet. In Fair Verona, where we lay our scene, we learn that there are two feuding families, the Montagues and the Capulets. Right at the top of Act One, a group of young men, both from opposing sides, begin to fight. The Prince of Verona catches them and threatens to banish them if they all don't quit their fighting. On the other side of town, the Capulets plan to host a feast with the intention of introducing their young daughter, Juliet, to a count named Paris. Paris has expressed his desire to court Juliet, and she is looking forward to the idea of one day getting married. Meanwhile, Romeo, Montague's son, mopes around due to his unrequited love, Rosalind. His friends Benvolio and Mercutio have heard about the Capulet masquerade and encourage Romeo to join them in hopes that it will help him get over Rosalind. Romeo agrees to go, but only because he's hoping to run into Rosalind at the party. Instead, Romeo meets Juliet and instantly falls in love. With Rosalind suddenly now a thing of the past, Romeo and Juliet share a kiss, even before knowing each other's name. Sparks fly. It's magic. But, of course, this is short-lived. Tybalt, Juliet's cousin, recognizes the Montague boys and wants to kick them out, but Lord Capulet calms him down. Romeo and Juliet find out that they each come from dueling families, just as he and his friends leave the party. But Romeo's got to have one more look at her. He jumps the Capulet's orchard fence and spots Juliet through her window. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. For if thou wilt not be but sworn by my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. The two exchange vows of love and decide they must marry the next day. Romeo seeks help from Friar Lawrence on what to do next and convinces the friar to marry them. The friar hopes that the marriage will help end the feud between both families and therefore agrees. With the help of her nurse, Juliet meets her dear Romeo. The two young lovers are wed in secret. The next day, Romeo and his friends run into Tybalt. Tybalt is indignant that the Montagues tried to crash the party and challenges Romeo to fight. Romeo declines and makes an attempt at peace. This angers Mercutio, his friend, who says that he'll fight with Tybalt in Romeo's stead. Tybalt and Mercutio begin to fight, and Romeo tries to intervene, but Mercutio is killed. Enraged, Romeo then kills Tybalt. As a result, the prince banishes Romeo from Verona. Romeo, away! Be gone! The citizens are up! Juliet finds out about her cousin Tybalt's death and Romeo's banishment. She's distraught, but realizes that her alliance now is to her new husband. That night, Romeo climbs into Juliet's room, and the two spend the night together before he leaves for Mantua the next morning. The next morning, the Capulets inform Juliet that they've decided that she will marry Paris. 
When Juliet refuses to marry him, they're angry. Lord Capulet says some really mean things, but Juliet does not tell them about her secret marriage to Romeo. Not knowing what to do, Juliet seeks the advice of Friar Lawrence. He comes up with a plan so that the two lovers can be together in Mantua. He gives her a potion that will make her look like she's dead and tells her to take it the night before her wedding to Paris. After she's believed dead and laid in the family's crypt, they will steal her away so she and Romeo can run away together. When Juliet returns home, the Capulets inform her that they've moved up her wedding by a day. Juliet makes no fuss. Her parents are relieved that she's now agreed to the marriage. The Capulets go to bed, seizing this opportunity of privacy. Juliet drinks the potion. The next day, the nurse finds Juliet dead, or so she and the rest of the family presume. They mourn the loss of their only daughter and lay her in their crypt. But the message Friar Lawrence had sent to Romeo with details about the plan fails to be delivered. Hearing that Juliet is dead, Romeo buys poison and immediately returns to Verona. When he enters the tomb, he's surprised to find Paris mourning over Juliet's body. The two fight, and Romeo kills Paris. Romeo then turns to his supposedly dead wife and drinks the poison. He dies, just as Juliet awakens from her drugged coma. Friar Lawrence explains what has happened, but Juliet refuses to leave Romeo's side. In a moment of despair, Juliet stabs herself and dies. Just then, the friar returns with the Capulets, the prince, and Romeo's newly widowed father, and to their surprise, discover a grisly sight. There, in front of their slain children, the two families finally make peace. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats By my count, the death toll of this tragedy is six. Two people die by suicide, Romeo by poison and Juliet by stabbing. Mercutio is killed at the hands of Tybalt. Romeo kills Tybalt and then later Count Paris. And Lady Montague dies from grief. Back in the Bard's days and up until 1660, all stage roles were performed by men. But in 1662, actress Mary Saunderson stepped onto the stage as Juliet. She is believed to be the first woman to play the iconic role. In the poem by English poet Arthur Brooke, the story of Romeo and Juliet takes place over the course of nine months. But Shakespeare squeezes it in to only five days. When it was first published, Romeo and Juliet went by a much longer title, The Most Excellent and Lamentable Tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. There is actually no balcony in the iconic balcony scene. According to the play, the scene which occurs in Act 1, Scene 2, takes place at the Capulet's orchard when Juliet appears above at a window. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Amanda. Hello, Alarmy. <laughs> and our very special guest today is comedian Natasha Leggero. Hi, Natasha. Hi, how are you? Good. I was hoping you could tell our listeners about your new show called House Hunters Comedians on Couches Unfiltered on Discovery+. Plus. 
Well, um, it is the longest name in television history. <laughs> Congratulations on yeah, that. Um, so don't hold that against us. Uh, no, it is. It's a really fun show I do with Dan Levy, and we make fun of House Hunters. And we've had our, we have our comedian guests on, our comedian friends on. Um, you know, we have Ali Wong, Seth Rogen, Chelsea Peretti, um, Margaret Cho. And uh, John Mulaney. Anyway, so many people. It's so fun. And we basically don't have to leave our houses. We just sit on our couches and <laughs> zoom in and make fun of house hunters. And honestly, it's not only been the best job I've had in Hollywood, it's the best <laughs> job I've ever heard of in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a Very huge funny. fan. Of House Hunters. So it's really so right up my alley. Are. That's funny, but I didn't know, like, Seth Rogen has seen every single House Hunters. So he, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I've watched it a lot, but, like, it's it's crazy. I, I think that we're all just kind of bored, you know? Yeah. I think there's, like, 57 <laughs> seasons or something. Something no, like that. No, there's, like, 600 seasons. Oh. It's insane. <laughs> Um, well, that's funny. You also have a, uh, co- uh, you co-host the uh, podcast with your husband called the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. Yeah. It's hard doing a podcast with your husband, right? Yeah. Tell me about <laughs> it. Wait, wh- why? I don't get uh, that. Moshe and I, we have, a, we have a podcast called the Endless Honeymoon Podcast where we give people advice and, you know, sometimes we just roast them and we're clearly not qualified to give advice because now we are in couples therapy. But, uh, <laughs> but it's really fun. Because of the podcast, you're in couples therapy? I think we're in couples therapy because of the <laughs> pandemic. Um, sure. I think, you know, once my husband looked at me the other day, he's like, do you, can you not stand me? I was like, okay, I, I just need to have like some better ways of dealing with, um, you know, it, it's just, it's not normal to spend so much time with one person. Yes. Tell yeah, me about I call it. couples... I call couples therapy the marriage tax. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, because it's like you think there needs to be something wrong, but really it's just like, you know, even just learning a breathing exercise, like, you know, instead of lashing out, mm. you know, just, just what can I do in the moment so I can handle this person like drinking their Dorito crumbs or whatever <laughs> in bed next to me. I was like, I looked over to him. I was like, what are you like? He was just like drinking the the crumbs. Out of, is that normal? Have you done that? I do that. I do that. <laughs> I'm I'm him in your how, relationship. I guess my question is, how else are you supposed to get the crumbs out? Are you, are you suggesting he pour them on his palm and sort of like lap them up like a? Kid? It's an option. That's an option, but it's not the best one. I know. Trust me. <laughs> So, but, um, but yes, we have we have really fun guests, and we also have a, a dark uh, secrets hotline where people like leave their their deep dark secrets, and we get to kind of make fun of them. So that's been really fun too. Spicy we have so many secrets that we had to have another podcast just for the secrets, like a secret <laughs> dump, because people have and it's like some of them are so disgusting, but some of them, you know, there's sexual secrets, there's secrets from people's past. Like it's it's almost like therapeutic, I think, for people to just like anonymously leave these secrets. So we like to start the podcast by asking our guests, you know, what is something that is currently alarming you like a tiny alarm? It could be a tiny alarm. It could be one of the big alarms in your life. Um, Just something that's causing you anxiety or alarm. Um, I'll do two. 
One is a smaller one, which is how my husband holds his fork, which I never realized. <laughs> He's actually changed because we used to go to restaurants, but now he kind of holds it like this. You know oh, what I mean? No. Stop like, it. No way. Like oh, it's, oh, it's hard. It's almost like a shovel. Like I know a motorcycle <laughs> handle? Yeah. Like a what? Like a motorcycle handle? Like, yes, exactly. He's like eating like that. Whereas, like, I thought there was, like, a really gentle, elegant, you know, like, in between the 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 forefinger and the middle finger with the thumb propped up. Like, that's how I would say it. Um, and then the other thing that's alarming me is the new variant. <laughs> <laughs> High and low. <laughs> So let's get to talking about uh, the big the big event, Romeo and Ju- Juliet's death um, here. And I would like to start off by putting some, you know more of the obvious ones up on the board first, like allowing teens to get married or the <laughs> the, the young marriage age. Mm. So. You know, Juliet's 13, and even in those times, audiences would have seen her as too young to marry. Here's a little cultural context uh, at the time. According to the British Library, one aspect of Romeo and Juliet that often provokes shock and controversy to modern audiences is the age of the young protagonist, particularly Juliet, who's 13. But uh, was this shocking to audiences of Shakespeare's day? The answer is probably yes. Mm. Some scholars have taken Paris and Lady Capulet's words that many girls younger than Juliet are mothers at face value and have even used Romeo and Juliet as proof that young marriages were normal practices at the time. However, historical evidence tells a different story. Historians have used data from the parish registers to show that the average age in early modern England for women to first marry was their mid 20s and men their mid to late 20s even for the gentility the average age was around 20 for women and 25 for men number of people marrying in their teens particularly particularly their early teens was very small and the practice was largely frowned upon for reasons of health maturity and financial stability well also if you think about it though the nurse is like bringing it's like a nanny and she's like bringing her her bedtime milk it's like why is she then getting married like she she is still like being nanny <laughs> it's such you a good have, point her the first have. the first conversation is about how she she used to you know literally uh, nurse her. She's she is her n- literal nurse, not a nurse like the one you have at school or the one that oh, you see she's at like the-, the wet nurse. She's the wet nurse. Yeah. That's the first conversation. <laughs> I mean, does Juliet even talk to her mom in this in this play? Like, I, from what I remember, the nurse is like her main ally. It's like who she tells everything to, and also kind of a cool way to raise your children. You just kind of. Like- <laughs> Let this other adult woman deal with them, and then you're just kind of there. there. I want to get married. Yeah, why did he do that? That's so gross. So what happens in that scene, the nurse is talking about how she used to, you know, literally suck her boob or um, and then the mom comes in and is like, OK, like, we're ready for you to get married. And Juliet's <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, some like, of that might just be like bad exposition, you know, like we didn't know who this lady is. Not the, I mean, I know Shakespeare is not a bad writer, but. Um, <laughs> Hmm. Is is Romeo like 16? Is he older than her? They don't say in the play, 
but we assume that he's just as as young or maybe just a little older. He's definitely very immature. Mm. Right. Yes. I mean, I was in this play when I was a child at regional theater and Romeo seemed like he was 47. So So it's hard for me to like erase that. Um, He was pretty immature. I mean, he also seemed kind of popular, right? Like he had, but he had like a good friend group and they were always kind of like hanging out on the streets and like doing their thing, you know, biting their thumb at people or whatever, whatever the modern day equivalent to that is. I'm not sure exactly. He definitely has a crew. Like he's got at least two in his crew. Why don't we talk about Romeo actually right now? Because there's a few things to discuss. I think we should put the nurse up on the board. Yeah, because she's Um, enabling, right? Like she's keeping Juliet's secrets and you're not supposed to do that with a 13 year old. No, exactly. I tell my child all the time, we don't have secrets in our house. And like the nurse is like not only you know, enabling her with, you know, with the secrets, she's also like getting her the number to a drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) Or the apothecary. I mean, the guy gave her poison, right? The friar. The friar gives her like a weird, the weird coma drug. A very effective downer, basically. Yeah. Which is like not supposed to kill her, but it almost does. The friar is also the guy who marries them, right? Yes. So okay, he's so a just uh, drug dealer and a priest sort of wrapped in one. Okay. So let's talk about the friar even I know we I said I was going to talk about Romeo, but let's actually talk about the friar. Okay. So Friar Lawrence, he marries the teens and he provides the sleeping potion, uh, like Natasha said, to to make her appear dead, even though she's not dead. Mm. He's the one who doesn't get the message to Romeo in time. So the two of them come up with this plan. Well, really, it's the Friar's plan, Friar Lawrence. Uh, And and let's specify this is Friar Lawrence because I want to talk about a different different Friar later. So Friar Lawrence... Mm. Comes up with this plan. He's like, Juliet, you just take this potion. Potion, Like, I got it under control. I'll tell Romeo. And then he just fails to get the message. It's a big... And what, what happens there? Why doesn't the message get to Romeo? Great question, Amanda. So, <laughs> so glad you asked. So, we've got another person by the name of Friar John. Oh. Now, this is a character that comes in just for one scene. And... It's after Juliet takes the potion and is dead. The friar comes in. This friar, John, comes in and he tells him that he wasn't able to send the message to Romeo because of the plague. Oh, we got to put the plague on the board. Exactly. So (laughs) the person who's supposed to tell Romeo that Juliet is faking her death and to tell him, like, don't worry about it. She's going to be okay. Uh, he can't leave the home that he's quarantined in. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, like, so topical. What, okay. what is, like, in terms of level of severity, is, does plague beat pandemic? Kind of, it's the same thing. Because according to WBUR, a year or so before Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet, a powerful plague struck, struck London in, ni- in 1593. Theaters closed for 14 months and ah. 10,000 Londoners died. 
This is according to professor and author James Shapiro, who's going to be our guest expert. And in Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare uses the plague as source material. So it's like super topical because the, the play is written like two, a year or two after the plague. That, that's very uplifting to hear that, that the, the, play, the theater closed for 14 months because it's really hard to imagine a worse setting right now for the pandemic than a Broadway theater. <laughs> like yeah, right. people like sitting right next to you and spitting and laughing. So mm-hmm. like the idea that it closed for 14 months, you know, hundreds of years ago. Anyway, that's just kind of uplifting in a way. Yeah, we're kind of pr- approaching that in the in the in, in our the current month, uh, yeah. COVID plague. We're, yeah. we're approaching 14 months, so there's so, reason for hope there. 400 years later, we're still we still have the same protocols <laughs> for dealing with plagues. <laughs> we should have known. Like that first month when they were just like it's going to be 3 weeks max. We should have known. If we had known about Romeo and Juliet's the whole plague situation, we would have been like 14 months, baby. I would have been mentally prepared. It's also interesting to think of a plague uh just being contained to a city although obviously so because how would a plague how would it travel i guess today it can travel by plane or whatever however it can get around the globe but i guess back in 1592 things were so localized it's just interesting to think of certain plagues just hitting it's this was called the london plague of 19 of 1592 yeah i'm gonna put that on the board then the london plague of 1592 so the, 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 how it plays into the play or the story is that the friar says, I, was, I, I went to go tell, I, I was in Mantua. I think it's Mantua, right? Yes. Um, and I was there. I was trying to get another friar to get the info to Romeo, but I got locked up in this house because they thought that I was part of the people that were sick. Mm. And so he's locked up and he comes back with the same letter and he's like, sorry, I couldn't give it to Romeo. And Friar Lawrence is like, oh, no, what the hell? Now I've got an issue. So what does this tell me? I mean, I I take two things away from this, which are Shakespeare doesn't want us to focus too much on the logistical error (laughs) of of this uh, uh, of the play or of this situation by putting you know, I guess the blame or the person who fails to run this very important errand is someone that we don't care about. We see him for the first time. Yeah, that's how you and don't I'm, outsource something that's important. Well, that's the second thing, Amanda. It's like if something is le- is as important for life or death, like don't don't outsource. That's don't why, that's don't give I'm, that job to someone that's, else. That's why Amanda edits every alarmist <laughs> podcast. She doesn't she doesn't trust anybody yeah, else. Very controlling. Life or death. <laughs> <laughs> is, is a friar a religious man? That's well, yes, because he's oh, the boy. one who's able to marry them, right? But I, 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 okay. this is a time where I feel like government and religion are—they're it, it, mixed up somehow. Oh boy, this sounds like it's heading towards the fact checker, and I'm—I'm I'm just not ready for this. But hang on, I might be able to get you some answers. <laughs> what does a friar do? <laughs> All right, we don't need to see your work. Just come back to us when you get the when you get the answer. But you're right. There was no that it's 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 a little suspect to outsource it. Feels a little lazy because um, this obviously was very important. Also, I still don't understand why he can't he can't leave his house if if he's quarantined. He couldn't have maybe someone else. I mean, things were hard back then. You had no telephone. You had no no way of contacting other people. I think you're right. I guess lack of technology we could put up on the board then <laughs> for the time period. Yeah. Not I advanced mean, enough. 
Yeah. And then also, Rebecca, like, are we going to put Romeo and Juliet up on the board? Because I just want to make sure we don't miss that. <laughs> Guys, I got to, pr- I got to, yeah, we got to get that. Let's just get that yeah. up on the board. We'll pin that for now. We'll Let, come back let's to put Romeo. Romeo specifically oh. for committing murder. Well, hold, hang on. Okay. I actually have a pretty decent answer for the Friar question. Okay, well, hit us. Now, I went to a search engine called Google. <laughs> and if you go there, Friars, okay, they were basically... Priests would stay in one place. Friars would roam around during the medieval era, era or whatever. They would preach and they would like get alms for the poor and they would also help the sick. Mm. So these people had different various like levels of almost. expertise that and in a way it was what you were talking about where they could marry somebody but then also I guess because they could heal the sick they knew what certain medicines could do. Mm. So it would make sense that they would she, he, this friar would give this medicine to Juliet. And I guess that's why he couldn't deliver the message himself because he was a busy man. Wait, but I, I wanted to say something about Romeo that it, that is really important to remember and it, it's really illuminating is the whole show starts with him being obsessed with this woman, Rosaline. And he's right. like basically stalking her. And so he's just like, you know, trying to find out how he can see her. He's pining after her. He's like, you know, just a, a completely obsessed with her. And then as soon as he gets to the ball, then he's like, oh, I guess I like this woman now. He's got a love addiction. <laughs> yeah. He's just horned up. He's horned up. I actually, I looked it up because I was like, there's got to be a name for this. And it came up as emophilia. Whoa. I swear, according to Psychology Today, some people tend to fall in love fast, easily, and often. This tendency is known as emophilia, former known as emotional promiscuity. Emophilia is a distinct it is distinct from a number of other traits that also predict developing fast romantic connections. For example, what draws someone with emophilia to love is the fact that those feelings are rewarding. Falling in love fast and often might sound exciting and romantic, but there might also be a dark side as well. Specifically, if you're always primed to fall in love with finding yourself charmed by others very quickly, a love at first sight sight kind of thing, this might make you prone to ignoring relationship red flags and falling for the wrong types of people. Well, what's what's interesting is that it'd be one thing if it was Rosalind and then someone before her, right? But like two isn't necessarily a pattern. You know what I mean? Okay, like okay. a pattern of behavior. Okay, Romeo. Like, no, but but also, it, it also sounds like a 16-year-old. Like I definitely yeah. totally. had that e- emophilia when I was 16, right? I mean. Yeah, like yeah. totally. That's for sure. Emophilia is, exactly. It's just a, it's just a, like a, fancy word for just having raging hormones or something (laughs) right well yeah i mean i guess it depends how old shakespeare intended romeo to be but we never know i i think you're right i think hemophilia has to go up on the board let's get that up there and also the the murders the you know (laughs) romeo kills tybalt like why couldn't he just control himself after tybalt kills mercutio and Mm -hmm. i get it he gets mad but why not just like call the authorities or like go through the proper um, hmm. <laughs> measures so that not so that he doesn't ruin his life and his future? Well, he's kind of lawless, I think. And he's also a rich kid, right? Like mm. these guys, they just think that they can do whatever they want, probably. Yeah. So maybe it's like a, ju- a criminal justice system that's imbalanced in favor of the rich. 
Well, well, what about sure. well, what about something like toxic honor? Because isn't that kind of what they were all doing? Is like these sort of like weird honor killings where you're allowed to duel, and if someone kills your guy, I guess it's kind of the same as what people do in gangs. I like toxic, toxic honor. honor. Yeah, I love it. And then toxic Chris, honor. Chris, Chris sorry, that Brendan Fraser. Well, I I thought of it, and then I looked it up, and it turns out it is a thing. You can actually put t- <laughs> you can put toxic in front of anything, and it's it's out there. <laughs> And Chris, what was it you had said before that? Something about the imbalance of the justice system? Something genius. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It was... Uh, favoring the rich. Yes. The cr- okay. Criminal, a criminal, criminal justice, justice system, system that, favors that favors the, the rich. rich. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good... Hey, their parents, like, share ownership of the town or something, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, and let's put the parents up, the Capulets and the Montagues, yeah. for, for their feud, because... Obviously, they have a history, but it just runs so deep. I guess they're two warring political factions, mm-hmm. is what I read. Anyway, it, it's it just feels so. What's it's the like word? if it's like if Eric Trump fell in love with, uh, you know, um, but no, one of the no, no, it's, it's Obama girls. No, <laughs> it's Hunter. It's, it's, it's Hunter Biden falls in love with Ivanka. okay that's good (laughs) well yeah so we'll put the families up like why are people feuding anyway we don't even know why i guess it's because someone murdered someone but it's not really specified anyway toxic honor that really falls into that yeah and i also want to put fate up on the board oh wow oh okay go on because (laughs) In the in the play, you know, the prologue tells us it's from the beginning that uh, the lovers are dead. It says it, it tells us everything that we need to know, almost like you're reading the news. So it's like two households, both alike in dignity in fair Verona, where we lay our scene from ancient from ancient grudge break to new mutiny where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, so the kids, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. They kill themselves. Uh, it was misadventure. Be- oh, is, is that at the away. beginning? Yeah, but that's totally. Li- literally, this is, these are the first lines of the play. It's the prologue. This is the prologue. And now let's pause for a moment to speak with Dr. James Shapiro, professor of English and comparative literature, specializing in Shakespeare at Columbia University. Right from the beginning, in the, in the prologue, we're told exactly what's going to happen. Why does Shakespeare choose to do that? Um, from my understanding, it's not something he does in many of his plays. Two households, both like a dignity, you know, that famous speech exactly. only appears in some early versions of the play, but not, let's say, in the first folio. Mm. And what's critical about that is those lines suggest that these are star-crossed lovers, which is putting the blame on fate, on something outside of human agency. But if you're reading or staging a version that doesn't have this prologue, then that changes the arrow of blame considerably. So you get to choose which version of the play you want, an early printed version in 1599 or so, or the 1623 folio. They're not identical. They tell slightly different stories. 
Listen to our full interview with Dr. Shapiro on Thursday's Aftermath episode. Now, back to our conversation. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I feel like Shakespeare is kind of really teaching us a lesson here where he's saying like this, you already know what's happening, but now I'm going to make you sit and watch it. Mm. Like you, you got to suffer through it. So it's like you're lesson, watching the news. The lesson bit. being like, should you go through life knowing what? I don't know. Like you're going <laughs> to like, how do you, what is fate supposed to tell us? Well, what it, is like, fate is like, if you believe in fate, then it's like, you know, your, your destiny just or be more, you, everything's written for you. Be more accepting of what's going to happen. It's also like the children are stuff paying for the sins of their parents. Mm. Oh, so maybe he's blaming the parents there. Yeah. And we should put, like, we have the Capulet and Montague feud, but we, do we want to put the literal parents up on the board as for well? For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Because, and then also the dad is like a really controlling asshole, isn't he? Like yeah. Like Juliet's dad. Yeah. He says some mean things about marriage. And he's just like, you're going to marry Paris. Like no yeah. questions. And then he like talks to Paris about how awesome his daughter's going to be as a wife or something. It's like, he seems <laughs> it's like gross. a dick. So... I lastly, I want to put just masquerade balls up on the board. <laughs> Sounds so fun. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you, I hate them. Fun. I Why? don't think they're fun. Why? It creeps me out. I I, I feel like it gives people license to do things, you know, that they wouldn't do if it, their face were shown. Yeah. It's a little rapey. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it is. It, it, it creeps me out. I like to see your face. So if, if there hadn't been this masquerade ball, Romeo wouldn't have gone away with going to the party and they wouldn't have fallen in love. So he would have just liked some other girl walking down the street. And uh, yeah, exactly. Juliet would have been saved. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe Juliet's 13 because 
that's like so much more attractive than like Rosaline, who is like of age. <laughs> oh like they're like, how can we make this character like? I mean, the whole thing is pretty gross. I never knew that that wasn't. I just always thought back then people just got married that young, but I didn't realize that was young even for the time. Right. He wanted to gross us out. I, I guess was he just trying to say like? I guess if you only they people were only living to like fifty back then, or is that not right? Fact checker, know, can you look checker. up? Can you look it up? Because, because that is weird. Maybe people at thirteen were considered kind of like at their prime. That's disgusting. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you could get married at what is it, age twelve to to fourteen or something. Okay, so it was legal. I mean, I got my period when I was fifteen. Okay, so you wouldn't have exactly. been wife material. No, <laughs> you you would have been in there in the one of the mid twenties, girls. <laughs> Didn't Queen Elizabeth like live till her seventies or something? She was of the time of the time, but I guess she was a royal. It's a little confusing, and this is why: is that it increases as the individual survives the higher mortality rates associated with childhood. So oh. it's sort of like skewed because. Um, most people or lots of people would die in the early years. Uh, you know, so you're like, talking about like the median age, like the average yeah, is, is lower, right? So yeah, so it, it's sort of skewed lower, but it's actually it actually says 871. They would if you would make it to if you basically if you make it to 21, you're likely to live till you're 71. Oh, okay. no, they're probably not even including women in that. They're like that's how long men would live because yeah, that's just, just white men die in yeah. childbirth. Yes. <laughs> Women are not included in that. <laughs> no way. It also looks like it depends on region too. Oh god, this we need a real fact checker. Maybe we can ask the, <laughs> the We'll ask the expert, this. yeah. Yeah. So anyone have anything else they want to throw up on the board? Um, did we blame uh Mer- Mercu- is it Mercutio? Oh, yeah, we should put him on, up on the board. I, I think that there's something to that because here was when I I rewatched um on um and I would recommend anybody go to YouTube and they have the Globe London has a really good production of this it was done in t- 2019 or 2018 or something it was really good but the guy Mercutio right is that his name Yes Mercutio Okay he's crazy and he's riling up the boys like he's yeah. the one who's getting Romeo all riled up I think and he's the one who comes up with the idea to go to the masquerade mm. and he he he's the one with all of the sexual innuendos and stuff, and then he's the one who picks the fight with Tybalt. Yeah, because Romeo tries to so, defuse the fight, and then uh, Mercutio is like, "No, I'm gonna fight Tybalt." And so. now, and and they're talking about there's like also like a, a backstory too about one of the family killing the other. You know, there's there's a complicated there's a, it's, whatever. Yeah. But in this particular sequence of events, he's sort of the first domino that that goes down. That's right. So I, I would throw him up on the board. Wait, I have a question too. Why don't why don't Romeo and Juliet know about each other if their families are like this famous dueling, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like that's point. the one thing that the writer is asking you to just go with. I see. You know how every story has that one thing. Okay. <laughs> Suspend your disbelief. <laughs> look away from that, Natasha. Don't don't look there. <laughs> We know it doesn't make sense. It is curious. (laughs) So, Chris, whenever you're ready, if you want to read us through. Sure, sure. Okay, so who's to blame for Romeo and Juliet? Uh, Young Marriage, The Nurse, Friar Lawrence, Friar John, 
The London Plague of 1592. Lack of Technology. Romeo's Emophilia. Juliet. Romeo Killing Tybalt. Toxic Honor. Criminal Justice System That Favors the Rich. The Capulet and Montague Feud. Fate. All the Parents. Masquerade <laughs> Ball. And or Mercutio. Great. I think right off the bat, we can take lack of technology and the criminal justice system that favors the rich <laughs> off the board. Okay. Interesting. I think it's more than that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the plague is important, or the plague in the play, but yeah. Toxic honor. That's really good. I feel like we can fold the Capulet and Montague feud into toxic honor. Ooh. That makes sense. And therefore, like all the parents can go into that as well. I feel like we can bounce fate too, because in a way, you're blaming, you're just blaming (laughs) what? What? (laughs) What's written in the stars, Chris? You're like taking away blame at all, like, (laughs) because there is no blame because it is just meant to be. Yeah, I mean, and I I agree with that. And I know we don't like that sort of magical thinking here at The Alarmist, but also I do think that's what Shakespeare was trying to say was like, it's all fate. Or was maybe he wasn't. Maybe I don't get it. I think so. I mean, he starts it, he literally tells us what's going to happen. It's like he's the god, and we're like the little. Uh, angels up in <laughs> heaven watching watching the play that he's set up for everyone. Does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about little yeah, angels. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm kind of like, let's just leave fate on the board just for a second longer. It's not a masquerade ball's fault, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, I guess we can take that off. It would have been... If, there, if masquerade balls were not a thin... We wouldn't have been in this problem. Well, they wouldn't have got been able to go in. Romeo would have never met Juliet, or it just would have prolonged it. I mean, but yeah, yeah it doesn't really feel. But like yeah, we can take that off. Romeo killing Tybalt definitely part of it. We can take off Romeo killing Tybalt because it's just fuel to the fire. Like it, it's all kind of happening at that point, <laughs> right. right? They would have found out that she had married Romeo. Isn't Juliet kind of the victim here? I think yeah, so. Yeah, I know. Because that friar gave her poison. I'm really, I don't like Friar Lawrence. And also, like, Romeo's hotter than that dude Paris she's supposed to marry. Like, she doesn't really, you know, she's got, her mom doesn't even talk to her. Her wet nurse is, like, giving her poison. You know, she doesn't really <laughs> know what's happening. That I, I feel you. And she's 13. Yeah. She's a kid. She should not be allowed. Yeah. But she does take... Like, she goes along with the plan, but I, you know, yeah. that's not her. She's too no. naive. For she wouldn't long, even she... be allowed to be on TikTok at 13. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that true? You have to be a certain age? You to have be on to get, have had your period. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be your first TikTok, is about how you yeah, get your period. Yeah, that's how you get in. That is awful. <laughs> the nurse. Friar Lawrence, those two are terrible. I think we can take the plague off. Yeah, because you know what? Friar John, it's like he could have found a way. Yeah. You know. Do we want to blame Friar John though, or do we want to blame Friar Lawrence? The the one who came up with the plan. I mean, Friar Lawrence entrusted Friar John, and it's so mm. it is Friar Lawrence's fault in a way. But he is kind of like the one of the good characters in the in the play. That's what's 
challenging about that. Yes, it's true. I think his heart is in the right place, but he also married them. And like he should have known that this was going to blow up one way or the other. Yeah, he's pretty brave. I don't I personally don't like Friar uh, Lawrence. I think he he they trusted him to give them advice. And I know that he was in a tough place because he knew that the families didn't like each other. And in a way, he was trying to get the families to like each other. He thought that through the marriage, they could probably get start getting along. But it was bad advice all along. He shouldn't have married them. <laughs> mm, yeah. I, I don't think it's yeah. Friar John's fault. He was just like a tool. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you just lift out Friar Lawrence from this whole scenario... It, 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 you know, I don't think it takes away, like, you still have some bloodshed, right? Like, you have the, mm-hmm. but I don't think you have as much. Yeah, I, he really concocted this plan. And if you're, if you're playing around with, like, poison, you'd better make sure it works, like, exactly how you said. Well, it, it does would. work. It did work. Exactly how he said. It's just the timing. It was, it was just the timing and message. It was, mm. it was... <laughs> And you know what? That kind of goes into, you can kind of wrap timing up into fate, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, what, yeah, maybe we should have put something like, um, like not following the schedule up on the board. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Poor planning. (laughs) Yeah. Poor planning. Okay. We can add, well, we can add it. Why don't we put poor planning up and then wrap fate up into poor planning? Yeah. It's a little bit more like more our style. And then I think maybe Romeo's emophilia can be taken off because like we were saying, he was a teenager. So we right. think. And so also, we still- is just his friend. I mean, Romeo has to be in charge of his own actions just because he has like this like rabble rouser, you know, getting him all hot and horny for someone like <laughs> yeah. ultimately he needs to like, take, you know, like needs- guys do like guys do all the time. Right. I mean, you can't just be like at the mercy of your dumbest friend. <laughs> that is such a good lesson, Natasha. That Thank is a you. Good lesson. Take it. Okay. So now we have young marriage, the nurse, Friar Lawrence, Romeo killing Tibble. Oh, we can take that off. Toxic honor and poor planning. I think the nurse and, can go. Yeah. yeah no, she's, she's asking just like, young marriage. Yeah. Young marriage. Well, yeah, yeah, that can go. That kind of gets wrapped up, honestly, in the parents, right? These feuding parents. Yeah, and the friar, too. It gets wrapped up in the friar because he allows it. He's the one who... But if she doesn't, I just in defense of the friar, if she doesn't marry Romeo, she's going to be married off to Paris. So this 13-year-old's getting married That's either true. way. That's right. true. So the nurse is just trying to help her. So yes, I, I don't think... Yeah, right. it's not the nurse's fault. I, I kind of think, may, honestly, you guys, I think we may have taken off the Capulet and Montague feud a little early. Because yeah, that really parents, right? did. <laughs> I, I don't know. Or the actual parents. Yeah. Because they enabled the, the young marriage, or they were pushing for the young marriage. Well, we, we, we rolled it into toxic honor. Okay, that's true. And, you true. know, you, you, you could technically say toxic honor was the reason why um, Juliet's dad was so intense about mm-hmm. her getting married to pa- to Paris. He's some he's some big shot like Duke or something, right? Like, yeah. Do we want to send yeah. the friar or toxic honor to jail? And and who do we give the slap to? Poor planning. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, we could wrap Friar Lawrence into poor planning or vice versa. Right. Yeah, Friar Lawrence, here's the thing. This was so important and two youth's lives are on the line. He should have had a backup plan. Yeah. (laughs) He should have have done it himself. Why didn't he do it himself? Why why totally Friar John? Like the whole thing is it, it just and here's another thing. Friar Lawrence knew there was a plague. It's not like the plague just struck, right? Right. So, so he should have had a backup to the backup. Yeah. I think uh, we wrap, to Natasha's point, I think we wrap up poor planning into Friar Lawrence. Yes. Two letters, like Natasha said. Like write two letters. Three. It's paper. <laughs> it's so it's free. <laughs> it's not free. Um okay, so I think we Send Friar Lawrence to jail and we give the big slap to toxic honor. What do you think about that? I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. I like it. Okay, I'm calling it. Toxic honor, you're getting the big slap. Friar Lawrence, you're going to the alarmist jail. We figured out this terrible tragedy and now the world is a better place. And thank you, Natasha, for helping us do that. Well, it's actually really kind of sad because the friar has so many great lines and so much wisdom, and he really is a good person. Mm-hmm. Are you are you having jail uh, <laughs> judges remorse? I remember having to to memorize friar the friar's speech, and I just remember him. What did he he would he would say violent delights have violent ends, and I always Ooh. I always remembered that, and I always thought, and he was always trying to talk Romeo into like thinking on the bright side of things, you know, he's like a pack of blessings light upon your back. So he was like this, like motivational, inspirational guy. So it is kind of sad that he is in charge. Like he's responsible for this tragedy. He needed a coordinator. He needed an assistant. Well, these, (laughs) these flighty highfalutin people who are often so, you know, with their uh, heightened language and stuff, they're usually not good planners. No, they're not. <laughs> well, I think so, he's naive. Also, right. some would say that naive. Romeo and Juliet had to die for the greater good. So in some ways, you could look at the friar as sort of fate's like right-hand man as he's sort of like acting this out and it all had to happen. And maybe the friar knew that. Wow. Ooh. I know. I should write something about this. <laughs> we just sounds lost like her. Dissert- She's sounds a- like you got your dissertation, Amanda. <laughs> I was a theater major. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning in, and thank you, Natasha. Oh, so we figured it out. Okay, great. Yeah, we're all yeah, done. It's done. <laughs> That's it. You're off the hook. You can do whatever you want for the rest yeah, of the yeah. day. <laughs> After the tragic deaths of Romeo and Juliet. The Montagues and Capulets agreed to put an end to their feud. There have been musical versions, opera renditions, and more than 100 film and TV versions of the play. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be discussing the flint water crisis 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.